0: I sold myself on that stage.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: Thousands of people screaming, Arnold, Arnold, Arnold. And when you visualize something very clearly, you believe that you 100% can get there. There was a lot of things they had to learn, obstacles that they had to overcome. You can get an injury then all your the athletic stuff is over but the only thing that no one can take from you is your mind arnold schwarzenegger terminated his box office competition i was looking for another challenge politics let's get to work he had no staff no real plan make please <laughs> he blew
1: up the political system
0: there is problems and problems but I want to do the things that everyone calls impossible. I'll be back. People will remember my successes, and they will also remember those failures. It was very tough on my marriage, on my relationship with the kids. That have caused enough pain for my family. I'm going to have to live with it the rest of my life.
2: Why did you give up?
0: But well, because my vision didn't talk about giving up. My vision was climbing that mountain. He's the guy who turns his boat towards the torpedo. If you're always hungry, you're never really satisfied. No matter what it takes, work your ass off. Do it. Do it now.
1: Welcome back to the Film 89 podcast, this is episode 98, I'm Sky. And I'm Neil. And tonight, we're going to finally be devoting an episode to one of the Film 89 team's most revered icons of the big screen, a man who typifies the very decade after which this podcast derives its name, and one who starred in many films which we consider some of the very best ever made, bodybuilder-turned-actor-turned-governor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, the catalyst for us finally tackling Arnie on Film 89 is the recent three-part Netflix documentary aptly titled Arnold. Each part is just over an hour long devoted to his early bodybuilding career where he came to dominate the sport, his acting career that made him a global household name and his eventual segue into politics. So Neil, The Austrian Oak, you and I have discussed some of his films in previous episodes on the Predator and Terminator franchises but I think Correct me if I'm wrong, Neil, but apart from last year's Conan the Barbarian episode, I don't think on this podcast we have yet devoted episodes to any of his individual films.
2: No, I think that's literally the only one. Yeah, just Conan,
1: I think, isn't it?
2: Yeah, we we I mean, we sort of sort of semi sort of covered Predator to the degree we went to watch. I can't even remember what the films called. The, that the, the Predator, isn't it? Um, which obviously didn't have an adult in it. Yeah. <laughs> thank god and then we you know sort of reference some of the other films but like you say other than Conan really I mean we've mentioned in passing our love for certain films but it's a bit shocking really that one of the sort of biggest icons of our sort of formative film years we haven't done a hell of a lot more on him to be honest no,
1: but which I, I guess this documentary then is kind of like the perfect sort of boot up our backsides to actually finally give some love to certainly one of our biggest kind of icons growing up isn't
2: he I was going to say, you keep using the word icon, and that's, you know, for me, that's like the best description of this man, really, isn't it? He is yeah. an icon. I mean, going back to our sort of teenage years, you didn't say uh, to your friends, Have you seen that there's a, a new film coming out called Total Recall or there's a new film coming out called Predator? You went, Did you see there's a new Annie film yeah. coming out? Yeah, that's and right, that it was, wasn't it? it? It was literally, that was all it took for you. Before you even knew the title of the film, either you or one of your mates done a, whatever and said to you there's a new Annie film coming out yeah. and that was pretty much all the information you needed wasn't it.
1: See that's the thing this was back in the day of the movie star when we still had movie stars now modern Hollywood has been criticized that it's not about movie stars anymore it's about franchises and characters yeah I think you could literally count on one hand the amount of genuine movie stars which are left um, I think you've got Tom Cruise, Leonardo DiCaprio and and very few others
2: yeah, and a, and a push. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, you could perhaps, perhaps lump Brad Pitt in with that. Yeah, um, yeah, I think
1: it's like fair. like you say,
2: the, the days of literally, you know, the film title not being as prominent as Schwarzenegger yeah. above the film title. I think those days, Oh, you know, or, you know, Stallone, or you know, you name it. Could be, mm-hmm. you know, you know, a couple of different names we can mention there. Where, like you say, it, the selling point on the poster was the name on top, of, you know, above the title of the film, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: it was, wasn't it? The name Schwarzenegger was almost as prominent as the film's title.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, literally, I mean, you know, if you look at sort of T2, and you look and just go, now they've just gone and filmed a pro, you know, giving Stan Winston money to go and film a promo for that. I think it was
1: $100,000, wasn't it, for that teaser yeah. trailer in, in summer of 1990, a year before the film came out.
2: Yeah, and I would, you know, literally just to get a buzz going about the film, let's just, yeah. let's just show Schwarzenegger and the Terminator And that was literally all you needed. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, when you, you know, you look, you could say, you know, I don't know what that's come for $100,000, in today's money would be, you know, probably four or five times as much as that. Like, wouldn't it oh, yeah. be them? Um, you know, when you look at now, the sort of teaser trailers, and, you know, teaser trailers for the teaser mm. trailers for the upcoming trailer. Yeah, it's, you know, that's how you've virtually seen half the film. I mean, back in those days, I mean, the Total Recall one. Have you ever seen the tr- the trailer for that? Where it's just literally just Arnie spinning through space, and his you know his his face rotating against the sun, and it, literally, and then you get the light of Mars coming onto his face and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and it's like a bit a big pyramid or something, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I knew nothing of what no. that film was about. But I was like, all oh, right, it's a science fiction. It's got Arnold Schwarzenegger in. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, I knew nothing about Total Recall at all. You know, I was not at an age when I thought, oh, that's a Philip- based on a Philip K. Dick novel That yeah. is all. Oh, oh it has got Verho- Paul Verhoeven's directed it, right? Half off the heels of Robocop. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, I was just like, it's only in Space. I want to see it.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Neil, how many times have we said this? But come on, man. You just can't even adequately convey this to the youth of today. What a time to be alive
2: that was. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, mean, I think the only person who even attempts to sort of replicate, like I say we're using Arnie as an example, but like I say there's, there's numerous other stars as well. But I think the only guy who tries to sort of replicate that is The Rock now. Yeah. And, you know, as much as, you know, I've got not a bad word to say about Dwayne, he doesn't come close to having the sort of magnetism no. and the sort of draw that Schwarzenegger had. I mean, that might just be us speaking from a sort of generational point of view, I don't know. But can you imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger back in those days? Had there been an Instagram, you know, or a social media outlet where know. you know we were, you know, the only time you were seeing Arnold was on a chat show, you know, or like yeah. you say on a, on an advert or whatever, you know. But can you imagine being Arnold now, yeah, And the world we live in now, and having like you just, you know, almost sort of intimate access to him mm. every day? Like, I mean, he would probably been ten times as big as he was then, and you know that just would have been bigger than the planet. I think because like I say I think. There's a famous scene with Muhammad Ali that if you dropped Muhammad Ali with a parachute and he landed anywhere in the world, that at least one person would know who he was. Yeah. I think Al Schwarzenegger basically conveyed the same sort of iconic status to him, I, I, Yeah, I agree.
1: And I, you just cannot put a finer point on how big he was. Literally, you know. Yeah, literally, yeah. <laughs> Figuratively and you know. physically,
2: yeah. I mean, we all sort of know the story of, you know, his backgrounds and where he's coming from. You know, Let's just get one thing straight away clear from the start. He's not a perfect person. No. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to. You know, I know there has been allegations about made about him, and i have no doubt that there's more than a grain of truth in a lot of what's been said about him in the yeah. past. You know, I think he's virtually admitted to that, hasn't he? Yeah. As as we'll come on to now in the
1: in in the Netflix documentary.
2: Yeah, but you know, like I say, you know, for for actual star power, a guy who traditionally wasn't regarded as an actor, he's he's probably one of the rare sort of movie stars that was basically just, like you say, sold films just on his iconic status, wasn't yeah,
1: it? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, let, let's talk about, you know before we go into talking about his huge body of films, let, let's discuss this Netflix documentary, Arnold, which, what are we now? Uh, when did it drop? Was it 7th of June? Yeah, roughly yeah, about that. What are we now? Yeah. About, A well, week so ago. After, yeah. Yeah. A week ago, yeah. So it's split into three parts, and the first part is part one, Athlete. Uh, I think he was born uh, July 30th, 1947 in, in Thal, Styria. No, Styria, that sounds like a place from uh, from Conan, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, in, in Austria. He was uh, one of two children. He had an older brother. Uh, mother and father. I think father was an
2: ex-policeman. Um, I believe he was actually the police chief, wasn't he? Police he was chief. Yeah. Police chief after the war, wasn't he? Yeah, so. yeah. Lost, of loss lots of rumors about you know, yeah Kevin what side he was fighting for, It yes. was all established, you know he was on the lose him side, but yeah, 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 I think that you know the
1: documentary doesn't shy away from the fact that he yeah are on the side of Germany in World War two, so obviously that would have been two years before Arnold was born yeah forty five yeah. yeah he first saw actor and bodybuilder Reg Park in the sixties Hercules films, and he said to himself, I want a body like that, and within a few years. And, and this like typifies the drive and determination of this man, and this is something which has always just fascinated me about him. And, and this documentary just rams home how much it is just so much of what his persona is. That within a few years he was he trained it, he he built himself up, he he heavily got into bodybuilding, and he was competing in Mr Universe contests. He then became very close friends with his idol, Reg Park. You know, he, he goes over to London, he's competing in... Uh, is it Mr Mister Universe, isn't it? That's the one below Olympia, yeah?
2: Mr Universe first, and then yeah. Mr
1: Olympia, I believe, yeah. He's going there, and then he, he's, he's finishing second place. And then he's going back, and he's finishing first place on his, on his second attempt. You know, this is in the kind of late 60s. You know, throughout the early 70s, and I'd say peaking in 1974, he is redefining and dominating the sport of bodybuilding in a way that... No one has since certainly not been as influential.
2: The thing is, with that, I think they've been you know, within a sort of small circle that have been the man, if you like. Like you yeah. say, like Reg Park would have been the man. There's probably others that you know that were sort of getting towards a status where people within that circle knew that person was the best in the world. But I think Arnold Schwarzenegger is the first breakout bodybuilding champion, isn't he? He's I the agree. first one where literally the man in the street would know that there's a guy called Arnold Schwarzenegger who's built like the Hulk, you know? Yeah, and. Like you, you look at
1: bodybuilders today, and in terms of the actual size, they're bigger than Arnold Schwarzenegger.
2: Oh, without without a shower, I mean that was that was the sort of arguments you know he was having in the sort of like late nineties with you know people like Ronnie Coleman and Jay Cutler and well, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah,
1: Ronnie Coleman is the first one I remember where you know you'd see him on the cover of Flex with like these colossal dumbbells, and he was just ridiculous. The size of him was just insane.
2: Yeah, I was going to say. I think definitely towards towards the end of the '90s, and you know, look at me, look like you know, body beautifully, or sort of. By towards the end of the '90s, and you know, uh, up, up until about sort of late 2000, coming into the teens, really, it was all just mass. After that, yeah. wasn't it? Was, yeah. You know, Now it seems to be going back to that sort of symmetry and that sort of you know almost sculpture looking that I think if you look at people like Arnold, like say you could look at like you know Ferg no definitely either as well, where they literally look like they were carved out of marble, didn't
1: they? Yeah, like these classic Greek statues, like the statue of Atlas, and he was huge. He was unbelievably huge, and but his proportions were were, like you say those classic superhuman statues, and. When we see him in the 1977 documentary Pumping Iron, and he's going up against Lou Ferrigno, Lou Ferrigno was huge. And in terms of his physique, there was an argument that, that he was he was bigger than Arnold, and he was equally well proportioned,
2: Oh, definitely.
1: But there was just something about Arnold that it was the persona on top, it was the confidence, and it was the fact that in Pumping Iron, as much as a lot of it now has been seen as being scripted, and, you know, the director, George Butler, was putting Arnie, kind of pulling him aside and saying, look, we need a little bit more drama here. We need, we need a villain, and, and we we need to show that you're kind of, like, you know, engaging in, like, this psychological warfare with Lou. And, and Lou Fringo, you know, he, he was a lovely guy. He was there training with his dad, Matty, and you know, he was was he partially deaf or profoundly deaf? And you could hear that when he talked and, and automatically then you felt a bit of sympathy towards him because he was just such a, like like a gentle, kind guy. And, and Arnold, it was this brash braggart. And he was kind of always like getting all the other guys kind of riled up and when they were having those breakfasts and he's like eating eggs and he's just always boastful. And, and it was just pure psychological warfare. And then I think Ken Waller, he also was kind of toning it down a bit, but he was also kind of being a bit of a dickhead. And, like, Mike Katz, there was that famous bit where didn't someone take, like, his favourite shirt or something before they were going out on stage?
2: I think was, I think it was, well, I took his T-shirt. Yeah. That was that was a sort of joke then. And, you know, it might have been Frank Zane. I can't remember which one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was walking around looking at his T-shirt. That was something that happened for, like, 20 seconds, and they thought it was funny. So they made yeah. it a three-minute skip.
1: Made a huge thing of it, didn't they?
2: Yeah. I mean, come on, let's let's be realistic now. I mean, years later, it came out, uh, you know, later, like you say, yourself. So, you Anyone who watches any reality reality TV now, there's no such thing as reality TV. Yeah. It's all scripted. It's all, all you know, can you just do that again? You know, Of course. Of thing, isn't it? You know, Yeah. Um, I think it's very rare that, you know, but I mean, pumping iron, well, like you say, Arnold had actually retired from bodybuilding. By the time yeah, of, didn't he? You know, he yeah. you know, did stay hungry, hadn't he? Like, of course. Like, I, you, know, think it was, it? you know, to come back, the the lure of coming back and, you know, oh, sorry, it was before Stay Hungry, wasn't it? Um, the lure of coming back and sort of being like you say the villain of the piece but also the star of the show but being completely honest with you like you say if you look at some of the people there, i mean like you know they could have, they could have easily been given the same role but somehow they wouldn't have had the same effect would they you know yeah. so sort of, you know in a sort of flashpoint parallel universe you can't imagine frank zane being the Terminator, or you know like you say or you know danny Badilla or whatever you know yeah but you know all these guys were built like like you say like adonis's weren't they like you yeah. know but it was just something about Arnie, wasn't it? He was. It's that sort of X factor. Like you say, if you look at it, you know, I mean, you're saying that it'll be referenced later on by us, no doubt, and he referenced it all the way through. You know, it's much the same as, you know, every time he'd walk into an office and say he wanted to be a movie star, people just look at him and say, that's ridiculous. How are yeah. you going to be a movie star? You know, you can't even speak English. You know, you can't stand a word you're saying.
1: But, you know, by the time Pump came out, it was a big success and kind of really put him on the map, you know, kind of moved him outside of the world of bodybuilding, where obviously he was, you know, just. Hugely famous. He'd done Hercules in New York in 1970, where yeah. he was credited as Arnold Strong, Mr. Universe, and they, they dubbed him over, didn't they? Have you ever seen it? I've seen bits of it.
2: I can remember when I was a teenager, there was um, a telethon on. ITV's yeah. first telethon, I think it was. And the the... The thing was, you had to phone in to vote for which movie was going to be shown. Because I think it was the first, because it was when we were like in the UK, we only had sort of like TV on till eleven thirty, didn't we? And then yeah. it cut off until seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I think it was my first experience of TV being on all night, like yeah. a twenty-four hour thing. And I think that was coming on at midnight. And I was, you had to pick which movie it was. Like, I can remember bugging my parents to phone in and vote for <laughs> Hercules in New York yeah. so I could record it and watch it. Oh my God, I, I I don't think they ever did, but if they did, I owe him money. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and he, he made a brief uh, appearance in The Long Goodbye, in Robert Altman's classic um, Philip Marlowe film noir in 73, uh, where he, he played a heavy, and then then we went to Stay Hungry, didn't we, in 1976, which I, God forbid, Neil, I've never seen Stay Hungry.
2: I think I've seen, it's bizarre. It's with was...
1: Jeff Bridges, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I was thinking, have I seen it? And I was pretty sure I hadn't. And then there was a bit with um, where he actually does his speech to Jeff Bridges about staying Hungry, and there was a bit where Sally Field was comforting him, if you like, and giving him yeah. a hug about saying. And both of those scenes seem familiar to me. So, wherever I've seen those scenes before, but for whatever reason, it rang a bell. But yeah, if you if you ask me straight out, have you seen Stay Hungry? I, I'd have to say no, you know.
1: Yeah, it's like you know the earliest thing on his, on his filmography, The Long Goodbye is is, is a classic, but then. You know that is just Arnold in like a brief cameo. Yeah. The, the first thing that really put him on the map for me is you know it, it's Pumping Iron, and then you know it, there was there was a few odd you know t- he turned up in the um, Kirk Douglas film, the villain.
2: Um, yeah, no, that, that's one I can remember as a kid. it because over here it wasn't called the villain in the UK; it was called Cactus Jack. Slim. Yes, that's right. it was, isn't it With
1: um, yeah, it was with Kirk Douglas and um, um, Anne Margaret. Because yeah, yeah, Kirk Douglas is but it's called Cactus Jack, isn't he?
2: Yeah, and I'm sure it was called either Cactus Jack or Cactus Jack Slade over here, and I can remember that being on TV in the summer holidays, sort of like when you know, sort of Batman used to, you know, '60s Batman used to be on yeah. and stuff like that. It was that sort of late morning, early afternoon spot, and it must have been a rainy day. Like, I can remember watching it, and thinking, "That's Arnold Schwarzenegger." Yeah. But then, yeah, because
1: you know, as his bodybuilding career is progressing and peaking, his acting career kind of was a bit was very much stop start. But then, yeah, like you say, he made that choice then to, to retire from bodybuilding. But it's the way that he went from, you know, competing over in the UK, you know, to miss the universe. He always had this dream, didn't he, when he was in Austria of, I, I need to go to America. It was then when he befriended Reg Park. And, and was it Joe Weider sent him an invitation
2: to come over to the, over to the States? Yeah, I think he'd, he'd won Olympia over here, hadn't yeah. he? And then it was um, Joe Weeder was actually doing his own version like a Mr. Universe, wasn't he, yeah. and stuff like that. And, you know, and that, in First World, he actually references that, doesn't he? He was sort of a big fish in a little pond in Europe. Yeah. When he came to the States, it was a case of, okay, you know, your fat belly and stuff like that. You know, yeah. he was too puffy and he was too, you know, all, don't get me wrong, I mean, personally I'd have killed for that physique yeah when he was winning titles in Europe, you know. Yeah. But um like you say when he came to the States it was like okay, well to the big leagues now the sort of major leagues if you like, weren't they, you know?
1: Yeah, they they were they were really, weren't they? They were taking the mick out of him. They were they were you know pointing out flaws in his physique and stuff and
2: well, one criticism with Adult's always been, he's had, you know, small legs. I mean, even in *Pumping Iron, there's people making jokes about his small yeah. legs and stuff, you know, which, again, like, you know, you look at his legs and you think, well, they're small, but I suppose they're not looking at things in the way we're looking at things. Yeah, I mean, of course. It's, it's all purely
1: subjective, isn't
2: it? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I say, I, you know, I look at a guy, like, built like that, i the last thing I think is he's got skinny legs, you yeah, know, but true. I suppose if you're living in that world constantly, then yeah, you do notice little flaws and little sort of you know dents in the armor, don't you?
1: Yeah. And then it was when he came to California, wasn't he? And he was you know going to the you know the gyms, the famous you know Venice Beach gyms and Gold's Gym. It, it, it was there that he kind of found his haven and just just everything kind of started to fall into place for him. And he had this like kind of natural aptitude to making money. Like within you know the first couple of years, he, he's made a couple of hundred thousand dollars. And you know he's, he's investing in apartment buildings, and he's he, he's making all of these. And and, and these are things which I, I think um, we found outside of this doc. We found they, they were yeah. interviews with like an hour-long YouTube interview that you shared with me a couple of weeks before
2: this documentary aired. Yeah, I mean, so he was a million. He was a millionaire before he was yeah a, a near big becoming a celebrity, maybe, wasn't he? And that's the thing about him. He's just such a savvy business businessman.
1: And even says in the in the documentary that from an early age. He had an ability to see something to visualize something that he wanted and to see how to achieve that goal and that's that's the thing i admire most about about schwarzenegger is just that sure-sightedness and that kind of that's what i want and he will achieve it
2: yeah i think it, 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 as cliche as it, as it sounds he is one of those sort of gifted individuals yeah. of, say once he sets his sights on something whether it's now, tomorrow, or in twenty-five years' time, I'll get it. Yeah, you know, I mean, like I said, there's, there's in, you know interviews from the seventies where he's talking about moving into politics, which, which which must have sounded even more ridiculous than I'm going to be the world's greatest movie star at that stage. You know, at that stage.
1: What's that? Um, uh, like the bodybuilding kind of bible, the encyclopedia that, that he, he published, that kind of gets updated every couple of years.
2: Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger's encyclopedia of bodybuilding. Yeah. which I, I will. I will proudly say I own a copy of. Which is the definitive bodybuilding bible? It, literally, literally, it's one of those things. I, you know, over the years, we obviously we've all done a bit of training over the years and stuff like that, and we have all done the sort of you know read the men's health exercise of the week, and you think, oh, I'm going to try that next time I'm in the gym and stuff like that. I would say with with the, the, the version I've got, I think is one of the sort of '80s edits. Yeah. And it's there's things in there now where you think, God, people are still trying to pass this off as a new exercise. I mean, yeah. the, the one shoulder exercise I do is actually called the Arnold press. Yeah. I think he was one of those people, rather nicely like, referenced in the uh, documentary as well, who was a very driven person, but was also willing to sort of look and learn from others as well. You know, of course, I yeah. And you know, in the doc, there's that bit in there where he's driving around, he's being
1: interviewed, and this this is kind of mid seventies, around about the pumping iron era, and he quite candidly admits to the you know the steroid use, and he says, yeah, you know, all the guys in this business use steroids, but. know we do it under the supervision of doctors and we do it for four months a year leading up to a competition and even if that's not strictly true and it's more than that the fact is he's being honest about the fact
2: that he uses steroids like they all do the simple fact with that is the way i always look at it as well is personally speaking no i've never touched anything like that if it was legal and could be monitored and you could go down to the local chemist or go and speak to your gp and they could give you something that could get you twice as big when you were training and it was completely safe and healthy i'd be fit and legal i'd be first yeah. in, i'd be first in the queue for that because yeah if i would if i go to the gym for an hour and i can get more results from it but i also know that it's not something that you just take and you just instantly look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, the amount of people I, I'm not going to say I know, but the amount of people I, I, I'm aware of, the fact that they may have dabbled in things like that, and physique-wise, you think, I wouldn't put my health at risk to look like that. Mate. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, to, to, to this day now, you think, what, Instagram influencers who are all trying to sell you the latest sort of chest exercise routine or whatever and doing that? Yeah. Come on, let's be real. Like you know, but uh, I mean, that was the thing. The caveat he kept. He, he, when Arnold talks about stuff, the caveat he always puts is it, it wasn't illegal in those days, so technically I wasn't doing anything wrong. Yeah. But I think anyone who you know is stupid enough to think that he wasn't or anyone else wasn't. And let's be completely honest, no what you're telling me? Every major sort of film star, male film star, I will add to that. The Chris Hemsworth, the, the Dwayne Johnsons, the Hugh Jackmans, and this will, they don't go from being, you know, 150 pound guys to 225, 250 pound guys in three months without a little bit of sauce. I'm, you know, that's, you know let's just be completely honest. The yeah. old sort of, oh, just ate broccoli and chicken and white rice for six weeks. Well, I don't think it works that way. No, you but don't. But I, I will also say, an incredible amount of work goes into that as well, you know, because, God, of course, you know, that, that's the other caveat as well. If, you, if you've got six, seven hours a day to train, you've got a personal trainer, a personal chef, and, you know, some Mexican supplements to help you along the way, then, mm-hmm. you know, you will get those results. But, um, you know, with Arnold, it's, it's a no-brainer, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And and I think my favourite part of our first episode is the bit where you see the... um the insecurity where he's like, I didn't think my physique was perfect, and I was saying, like, this piece of shit body I've got. I, you know, I don't like this about myself. I need to improve that. And you know, just watching pumping iron and and the, the you know the the, the supplementary like the, the extra footage which you can find on the DVD and stuff like the off cuts. You you just saw none of that in Arnold. It was just complete confidence and no weakness, no doubt for a second. Because if he ever doubted himself, he would he wouldn't yeah,
2: be I think, I think he was savvy enough to play that persona up, wasn't yeah. he? Like we yeah. say, whereas some people sort of almost use their insecurities as a crutch, he would mask them, you know, and, you know, rightly or wrongly, that can help you in certain situations in life and sometimes it's better to be a bit vulnerable, but I think in that world it was a case of, you know, I have to portray to the world that I'm invincible and yeah. therefore I will become invincible, you know?
1: Yeah, but, you know, there's no doubt in it and there's various documentaries, Pumping Iron and this one, you know, Portrays in in the seventies, and you know he, he dominated the sport, and he, he just left a lasting legacy on the sport of bodybuilding.
2: There's no two ways about it. You know, I think the two names that are always mentioned with I'm going to start lifting weights would be Schwarzenegger or perhaps Hercules or some sort of like yeah. you know some mythical figure. You know, yeah, or, or the Rock, maybe the Rock yeah. nowadays. Yeah, maybe the Rock nowadays.
1: So episode two or part two is is titled Acto. Now as this. Documentary reminds us his acting career didn't exactly have a smooth start. In fact, it it was very much stop-start, and and famously, like I said, he was dubbed over in Hercules in New York in in 1970. But it was his eventual casting against the initial wishes of producer Dino De Laurentiis in John Nules's Conan the Barbarian (1982) that was his most significant step into acting. But I definitely think that Pump and Iron did so much to help kind of solidify him in the minds of the public. So by the time Conan came around, he he was well-known. And, you know, that film came out in, for me, the greatest year for film, 1982. There was just so many classics, which we've spoken about on this podcast, and I think the subject of 1982 will come up again pretty soon. But, um, you know, that first Conan film, which myself and uh, Tony Stella and, and John Arminio spoke about on our episode last year, it's an all-timer for me. I absolutely
2: love the film. It's literally like you say. If you were people t- being talked about, you know, actors being born to play a part. Yeah. I mean, especially going back in those days, to find someone who not only looks like that, yeah, but who can also sort of convey a performance like that as well. Yeah. That's just sort of like the bottle type stuff, isn't it? You know, like you say, they, they were guys. Like I say, any of the guys from *Pumping Iron*, you could have said, well, you know, put them on the back of a mm. horse.
1: Would they have pulled that off? None of them, none of them had the complete package in that Arnold had.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, conversely, that could have been his finest moments, his greatest moments, and something he was talking about to a guy in a bar now who had a very sort of small recollection about that film, because yeah. he never made another film after that. He yeah. never hit after that, you know?
1: And I think that thing that was his stumbling block in the, in the early part of his acting career, his, his very strong accent actually... Was it, plays, it plays
2: into it though doesn't yeah. it because it yeah. sort of adds to that sort of Viking warrior type Yeah it, old, this, this kind of
1: old land forgotten land. world that is yeah. you know history has forgotten about the, the Hyborian age or, or whatever it is and the accent works as well doesn't it
2: yeah, because like you say, almost in the sort of way that you know, you look along the lines of Game of Thrones. You know, the North all have northern accents. You know, Sean Bean fits into you know to be in there. You know, in the same way that sort Pascal fits to be in from the sort of Mediterranean, you know, sort of sounding world. And
1: you know, Conan the Barbarian was a very you know, it was it was a fair hit. It was you know, it did well. And, you know, success in films often breeds sequels. And then in 1984, we've got uh, Conan the Destroyer. Bit of a damn squib. Bit of a damn squib. Not directed by John Elias, but directed by Richard Fleischer. Richard Fleischer's directed some superb films. Yeah. Silent Green, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Uh, he, he has directed some really good films. Then we get this.
2: Yeah, it's, it's easy to sort of think. You know, Dino De This is sort of yeah. got that sort of almost sort of canon-esque reputation, haven't you, of cutting corners and, yeah. you know, you know, whack out a sequel quick and stuff like that. But it does seem as if there was actually a bit of pride taken in this sequel, doesn't it, you know? Well, you know, it's the, it had Basil
1: as the composer from the first one, one of the greatest composers of all time. He had Jack Cardiff, the cinematographer, you know, who worked with Powell and Pressburger, who, you know, again, one of the greatest cinematographers. The, the certain shots in that film are beautiful. It's got some amazing... Like composite shots and amazing matte painting shots that just to this day look really convincing but the film is just it's, it's, it's hokey it's camp it's just got like you could argue that on Paper, the first film walks a thin line between kind of um hokey and but it never does, though. That's the point. It never does, it takes itself seriously.
2: Yeah, it actually, it, it actually takes it, it revels almost. The first film almost revels in the fact of like, yeah, this can be as outlandish as it wants, yeah, but it never goes into sort of camp territory, does it? It never goes no. into sort of parody or is never knowing sort of wink to the camera of like, no. yeah, this is a bit silly. Like you say, it presents her in such a way that it's almost like a sort of King Arthur esque type, you know, sort yeah. of legendary tale that's being given to you, doesn't it? And uh, no disrespect to Sarah Douglas,
1: um, who, who plays the, the 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 evil queen in this film, but she is no substitute for James Earl Jones as Thalston Doom.
2: And th- I would say that's that's the thing as well. You know, you've got to, you know to have a good hero, you need to have a good enemy. Don't oh you? God, yeah.
1: And and James Earl Jones as Doom is one of the all-time greats. And then also in 1984, Hollywood bigwig, founder of Orion Pictures, and follower of Film 89. On Twitter, Mike Medavoy introduced Arnie to a gentleman by the name of James Cameron, who was making for Orion Pictures his kind of proper directorial debut, if you want to discount *Piranha* to this morning, and that film was called *The Terminator*. Yeah, and that was the film, as we all know, that really properly catapulted Arnold's career into superstardom.
2: Like I say, I think with with it could have been easily. A character that could have been remembered for a few years and like I say I've no doubt he'd have got other gigs off the back of that but this is the film really that sort of solidifies hey we might actually have a genuine sort of movie star. yeah, yeah.
1: and I think he he speaks something like 25 lines in the film doesn't
2: he yeah this is the thing I mean it was well documented and um, you know he says it as well doesn't he? That you know originally he was
1: looking to play Reese wasn't he yeah but it was that conversation, wasn't it? And he, he, he had so many good suggestions to make about the Terminator, about how every move of his would, would have to be precise and exact. And and as he's kind of trying to physically explain to James Cameron how he thinks the Terminator should move.
2: Play acted out as he's doing it. And like you said, that goes to show the sort of almost sort of fail to prepare, prepare to fail sort of mentality that I think he's got. Where instantly he's thinking, I can play this character, Reese. I'd be the good guy. I'll be, traditionally, the, what would have been the sort of leading man, if you like. You know, I'll be the hero that saves, you know, saves the the damsel in distress, if you like, and stuff like that. And then instantly, he's already thinking, but I need some formidable foe to go against. I need to, you know, this Terminator, it needs to be invincible, it needs to make me look good because I'm standing up to, against it, you know, and stuff like that. He's already thinking, you know, outside the box of how the Terminator loads a weapon without looking, and you know, and he it just does it automatically like a machine, you know, he's basing it on your Brenner's performance in Westworld and that goes to show, like, I've no, you know, I said no real background knowledge this, but I would think an average sort of, in inverted commas, action star doesn't go into those great depths. You yeah. know, I, I would think a lot of the time, if you say to, you know, t- today's sort of Jason Statham or J- Jason Momoa or whatever. Oh, you're going to play a bounty hunter who rescues. Them. They go, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll just go do some pull-ups or whatever, you know. The, the fact that he was already thinking, like a filmmaker, if you like, how can this film work? You know, we need this this Terminator needs to do you know, this and do that. shows you the sort of intensity and sort of foresight that this guy's got, really, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Terminator was, it was a huge success, it was, it was made on a budget of $6.4 million and it, it was a massive hit for Orion, it, it was one of the most well received films of 1984, it would obviously go on to spawn a, a long standing franchise and, and for me, the, the, the first Terminator film, it, it's just an all timer.
2: Do you know, funny enough, when we were talking the other uh, week about horror films, um, just the three of us or four of us were talking about something, and horror films came up and we were, and, stuff like that. and I was going to say, I can remember someone saying to me, do you know Terminator is one of the, the best horror films ever made? And I was like, I never really thought of it. And I was like, it is a horror film, yeah. it's, you know, it's, a, it's a slasher movie, it's a stalker well, movie. So he's it's like Michael Myers, isn't he? Yeah. He's unstoppable. The thing is with that, when you sort of take out the supernatural element and add like the sort of I suppose, science fiction element to it, to a lot of degrees, works a lot better, doesn't it? Because yeah. it's not a case of, ooh, he's coming to get you. It's like, my God, this thing, came. well, that's a famous speech. you cannot be stopped, cannot be bargained with, yeah. you know, cannot be reasoned with, you know. Lance Hendrickson was the original choice for it. In a different type of movie, I could see that working. Yeah, I don't think we'd still be talking about it, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, as a teenager, if we'd seen that, we'd have probably thought it was, you know, mm-hmm. a yeah, good film. Um, there's the, uh, the obvious O.J. Simpson thing, which seems to chop and change whether O.J. was really ever going to be the But I think it's pretty safe bet to think that at some stage there was some sort of serious thought. I,
1: th- I think the problem with O.J. is Neil, that no one would ever seriously believe he could be a killer.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that was Cameron who said that. was Cameron said that one. It? it was on, the, yeah, it was on the dock wasn't it? <laughs> but, the, I mean, the thing is, I mean, the sort of O.J. Simpson thing. I mean, that would have been the equivalent, to, you know, around our time to us of like from UK speaking probably would have been Frank Bruno, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. You know, where he's the lovable guy who's turning up on, you know, T V game shows and yeah. stuff like that. The sort of gentle giant if you like. Unfortunately, like I say with O J Simpson, I think a lot of things are proven there. Public personas and personal lives don't always gel,
1: do they? No, and I think obviously at some point, Neil, you know, we've discussed the Terminator before on an episode, but one day it is going to be getting in an episode devoted to to that one film.
2: At least two of those, at least two of these sort of franchise movies, really. Yeah. Um. know yeah, you could say definitely Terminator, you know, and definitely Predator, both films that we've discussed. But unfortunately, we've always discussed these films when we're referencing the sort of dire yes. stripe yeah <laughs> the, the most you know, recent in that. entries
1: into the franchise yeah yeah
2: the sort of fifth and sixth yeah. entries into these franchises you know
1: so there was two films in 1984 Conan Destroying Destroyer and the Terminator and the following year his next film and this one baffles me no. so we've got Conan the Destroyer director Richard Fleischer again adapting the Robert E. Howard film this time it's Red Sonja with Bridget Nielsen playing the title character Arnold Schwarzenegger is not playing Conan he's playing a character by the name of Caldor. Yeah, and that baffles me. It's like you've got Arnie; you've got an incredible poster. The poster for Red Sonia is phenomenal, and Arnie is 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 even bigger. Like Bridget Nielsen is front and center, but Arnie is just dominating the background with that classic sort of um, holding the sword above his head, his um, arm outstretched pose.
2: What, what were you? What were you? Was that eighty five? Eighty five. So they they brought out an action film, yeah, with a female lead. Yes. In 1985. Oh, sorry, Neil. Did I say Bridget Nielsen? Was it. Um, um, Jennifer Lawrence, or? Oh, sorry, it was Jennifer Lawrence, of course. <laughs> she's obviously Jennifer Lawrence, cause yeah, she's, she's the first the,
1: female action lead, yeah, wasn't she? Yeah, first female oh, okay. action star, of course, sorry. <laughs> so, and you know, you, you had Sandal Bergman, who was obviously in Conan the Barbarian. She's back playing a different character, and, and it's just. And this is going to blow your mind, Neil, right? Ronald Lacey, tote from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Pat Roach, who
2: plays several characters in Raiders of the Lost Ark including the, the guy he fights under the plane I was going to say Bertie Abbey yeah. film it was made up to his death wasn't he it was in the first three yeah. definitely I think, he, I think he passed away by the time the fourth film came yeah. round I think otherwise he'd have been in that wouldn't
1: he Stuntman Terry Richards who played the, the sword guy who Indy uh, famously shoots yeah all of them appear in Red Sonja yeah i
2: it's, yeah. it's, got very I'd say Red Sonja is probably a film I've not seen for it's gotta be oh Christ probably 30 years at least I'd yeah. say it, uh, look, put it this I'm way. i have not, not seen it stand-up if I've watched it. Now, but I can remember enjoying it at the time.
1: It, it, look, it's got a score by Ennio Morricone, one of the all-time greats, and it, it's got a phenomenal poster, but that's about all I can recall of it. Uh, it. It's not great.
2: Plus, I had a little bit of a crush on Bridget Nielsen back in the day,
1: so... <laughs> but, Neil, just like in 1984, he released one absolute classic and one film that wasn't particularly great... He did the same the following year we just discussed the film was not particularly great the absolute classic that he released in 1985 was a little film by the name of commando
2: well i think it's safe to say this is probably the world's greatest movie that no one ever missed him if
1: die hard is the greatest action film of all time i would argue the commando is the action film in his purest form because you could argue that die hard has got elements of a thriller there's lots of build-up of tension and stuff like that. Whereas Commando doesn't fuck around with any of that. It is just all out, ninety minutes of pure action, and
2: it is glorious. It's the closest thing I can think of to I'm going to storyboard this film using my action man, or for our international viewers, my GI Joe figures. Yeah. Uh, it is literally it's a GI Joe movie. Yeah. Let's, let's be completely honest. It's an action figure movie it doesn't take itself seriously and again it somehow manages to portray that it's taking itself seriously Commando if John Matrix had been a comic book character I would actually class this as one of the greatest comic book <laughs> adaptations ever made
1: <laughs> we, we, we have threatened for a very long time I think one of the most requested audio commentaries we've been
2: asked to do is one on Commando it's, it's one that me and you particularly, uh, literally. When are we going to do? Uh, yeah, I would say at least every month one of us asks the, each other the question. Yeah,
1: when are we going to do, do Commando? Commando. And I, I don't know if it's a case of if we should do a proper episode or a commentary. I don't know because there's so many little bits quotes. of that film, that we, you know, <laughs> so many classic lines that we'd have to drop in, wouldn't we? But you're not going to get the same effect with an audio commentary. But I don't know, either way...
2: probably the first film as well, where Arnie is catching on to the fact of catchphrases and yeah. one-liners and stuff like oh, that. He's having a way of the time. Like I say, it's ridiculous. Let's be completely honest, it's ridiculous. But if you tell me that I let him go, is a great line, or, you know, remember I said I kill you last, <laughs> I lied. I mean, I must quote that film at least once a week. Well, at least once a week. Uh, some Any sort of situation will come up, and I'll throw in a commando quote.
1: Peter Griffin, um, I think he gets his wishes and he, and he wishes for his own theme tune as he's walking around. But mine is just James Horner's oh, music from Commando.
2: It's a beautiful soundtrack, that yeah. steel drum.
1: Steel drums, it is constantly on a loop in my head.
2: Yeah, it's just fantastic. I mean, like, well, you, you, own, you own the watch.
1: I did, I did own the watch. Yeah, I, I did me. own it, I've sold it, and every now and again, I, I've
2: never been more disappointed in my life to know that it didn't have a countdown sound on it.
1: Yeah, I know, and I've I've bought and sold so many watches over the years, and I I, I can sell them and not look back and with any regrets. And it's the Arnie watch, the Seiko Arnie, as it's called. And I could I could buy another one tomorrow quite easily, but I just think, oh, did I really have to get rid of that? Because it is just, it's a classic. It really it's,
2: is. There's nothing about that film where, like I say, if if someone said to me, try and defend this or try and defend, I couldn't, other than the fact of because it's fucking awesome. That's yeah. What. All right. <laughs>
1: For anyone who's going to point out it being hokey or whatever, I'd be like, show me a better 45 seconds of anything ever committed to film than getting tooled up on the beach.
2: It's ridiculous. I mean, the the opening shot of it, you know, with him walking down with the log, you know, sort of montage of him and his daughter, you know, having ice cream and feeding deers and stuff like that. And yet, for some reason, I won't hear a word said against Commando.
1: No, I, I won't. And objectively, I won't either.
2: I mean, Ray, Ray, Ray Dawn Chong. I mean, she's ridiculous, in it? And yet, somehow, I'm quite happy that they get together at the end. I,
1: I love Ray Dawn Chong in it. I love uh, who's, uh Sully David, Patrick, Kelly. Obviously, Vernon Wells, Vernon Wells Bennett yeah, is a, phenomenal. Duke, you know, Bill Duke, oh, legend. Another, another friend of mine. It's
2: that when they pull up with the, the sort of um, the the refuge collectors and like they're killing off the team and they kill the guy. You know, kill the other member of the team in the. um yeah in the car showroom and stuff like that. It's one of the greatest opens ever.
1: Yeah. And again, as much as The Terminator is a dead search for a future episode, Commando's probably been near the top of our list for such a long time.
2: Without a shadow of a doubt, I, I won't here I'll defend it every way. Yeah. Every way so let's jump
1: forward to 1986 and a film that, for me, was always just mid to lower tier Arnold Schwarzenegger and it is 1986's raw deal. Yeah. And I will be the
2: first to admit that young me was just wrong. i have gonna completely side with you. I th- I'm pretty sure that over the years, you and I had both said, Deal oh yeah, Deal, yeah." It. yeah. Bit of a straight to VHS, you yeah. know. Must have done that when he was out of, having a bit of downtime and stuff. Yeah. Like that. And I can't remember. It came on like it was Netflix or Amazon. I can't remember which one of us watched it first. I think it was, I'm gonna give you the credit with this. No, no, it was
1: I... no. I said Neil. I've just had an epiphany I've re-watched Raw Deal and I fucking love it and you said dude I've literally just watched it about a week ago
2: that's right yeah
1: yeah and you said "You said I've been meaning to, I, I, I've been meaning to say uh, watch Raw Deal and I watched it and we were both like how have we slapped on this film for so long
2: really good film
1: a really good film and he plays this um, small, small town sheriff doesn't he yeah who agrees to help um, the FBI infiltrate
2: the Chicago Mafia well, he's like a sort of disgraced FBI agent, isn't he? Yeah, not, that's not right. A disgraced FBI agent. I think he's like his marriage is broken up because he was, you know, such a good agent and so dedicated to the job. His marriage yeah. was on the rocks, so he takes a smaller job as a small-town sheriff, doesn't
1: he? Yeah, and there's the thing that, um, like the, the sort of female love interest because he's undercover because he's a married man and because he's like a kind of man of honor he never you know, allows things to go all the way with her you've got Sam Wanamaker as, as the I think he's near the main bad guy you've got Robert Davy as like his heavy he was just an absolute piece of shit
2: but Robert Davy superb in virtually
1: everything everything he does like yeah. That, yeah Darren McGavin doesn't he play the um, Arnie's contact
2: yeah he's sort of like yeah, he's, yeah.
1: I, I don't understand how I slapped on this film for so long it, it's gone from being it, it would be in my Top 10 Arnold Schwarzenegger films now.
2: Yeah, i got to be honest, a revelation, absolute yeah. revelation. Like yeah. so if, if anyone listened to this is of a certain age and watched this film and they were like 15, 16, or whatever age I was, 14, whatever it was, yeah, it's all right, and just never went back to it yeah. and has the same opinion that we did, please give it a second yeah. chance.
1: Let's go cool, then from a film that um, we were never particularly fond of to one that we now really like to a film that, well, do they care any better than this? Moving forward to nineteen eighty-seven, Predator. We've we said it before. We said it on our the Predator episode back with Martin Kessler a few years back, where we discussed every film in the franchise. I think maybe we gave about forty to forty-five minutes chat about Predator, and you know we lavished endless praise on it. And one day, I think you know we'll dust it off and we'll give it an episode on its own. I don't think we could probably say anything that we didn't cover on that episode and that we'll go into more detail in a future episode. But I'm going to say for me, I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with this, Neil, that Predator is
2: Arnold Schwarzenegger's best performance. Completely, have to agree with that. I mean, he's superhuman, but he's also, he's so vulnerable. vulnerable. I think it works because the beginning of that film is basically, Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just John Matrix by another name, jumping off a helicopter and, Oh look at this! He's brought Apollo Creed with him as well. Yeah, yeah. And then as that film progresses, to like you say, the the sort of paranoia and the fear setting in in it, this sort of like A team, if you like. You know, yeah. it's like a, you know, well, I was always going to say it's like the Expendables, but that will be doing never oh, yeah. It's like a you know, who's who of like, sort of action stars there. Like you see, like you got Jesse Ventura there and stuff as well. And then, like you say, the vulnerability and the fear and the panic that sets into him. I mean, that great scene where they all just. Let him rip on the jungle. Just literally, they're so these guys who are like you see them go in and do that sort of raid on that village to you know rescue where they think you know the prisoners and get you know stuff. like that, And they're so sort of methodical, and everything's so well planned and they're so confident. Yeah. And then you see this elite team just break down into like just panicking, almost like probationer soldiers, aren't they?
1: Yeah. And and it's like you know when they when they find you know the skinned bodies of, of Jim Harper and his men, and it's just like. Poncho's reaction says a oh, holy mother of God. And like these guys, they've they done it all, they've seen it all they've never seen anything like this, and then pretty soon they realise that they are well out of their depth and they're getting picked off one by one. And as much as, you know, God, in Conan the Barbarian, he gets their shit beaten out of him. He gets tortured, he gets he gets nailed to a tree and crucified and and is kind of literally barely alive, if if not dead. And I think in the episode we, we we've yet to establish whether or not he did actually die and was brought back. It, it's unclear, but he you know he was he got a proper pasting. in. But this was the kind of indestructible Arnie. And, and don't get me wrong, in commando he, he picked up a few little injuries. I think he had a bit of shrapnel or something in his yeah, side was, that he
2: pulled it's, out. It's that sort of standard like oh took one to the you know, oh he winged me type thing, isn't it? You know yeah. or, oh I got a bit of, a little bit of blood running off my eyebrow type injuries isn't it whereas yeah. this one it's like he literally gets to the shit kicked out yeah. of him.
1: and the and the predator is literally disarming himself to bring the odds closer
2: well it's almost like he's enjoying doing it. Isn't it? it's like I could, I could kill you quite yeah. easily but i think i'll like you say like a cat with a mouse isn't it like i'll just toy with you for a little yeah. bit you know give myself some, give myself a bit of a, a workout while i'm at it you know
1: i must it there's that bit isn't it where um one of his team i don't know if his poncho is kind of um He's kind of having a moment of doubt or whatever and, and Arnie's kind of stood in, he's ushering him on and he kind of um, gives like a kind of false smile and as soon as Poncho's passed him he kind of drops that veneer and you can see he's just like, he's yeah shitting he's, himself. Yeah, he's, like, he's, like you say, he's, he knows he has to be the yeah. strength of the team, doesn't he? Yeah, and, and you know we talked about John and before when we um, covered Die Hard with uh, Jacob Rivera, one of our all-time favourite films. Those first three movies, oh, well, movies... Those three films... 87, Predator... 88, Die Hard... 1990, The Hunt for Out October... What a trio of films... Unbelievable...
2: It, it, like I say... it, it sort of, It's it's one of the sort of... whatever we talk about anything like that... It's one of the sort of... Almost sort of like... My belly sinks a little bit... Thinking what well, that mm. man could have gone on to have done...
1: Yeah... I know... You know... You know we, we've said... You know, A lot of people say there's no such sure thing as a, as a perfect film... I don't agree... And I genuinely think...
2: I would. I would go along with. I would go along with Predator for me being yeah, a perfect it's movie, perfect film. It's, it's, it's up there with Jaws. Where I just can't like, think of one scene that I would cut out. No, I agree. One element. One element of that story I would change. I fully agree. One act. One actor I would rather see replaced. I I can't think of that. Yeah. And. Going back to Raw Deal, Neil, and like, kind of
1: reappraising a, a film that I was, you know, it was never my my favourite. It was never in the running for being my favourite Arnold Schwarzenegger film, but 1987, same year as Predator, The Running Man. Yeah. Now, <laughs> <laughs> on paper, there is no way that The Running Man should have aged like it has but when you consider the era that we're in where we've been through the era of reality tv and you know how kind of dominant that became and then the advent of social media and just kind of all of the social commentary well it, it was based on a book by um stephen king when he, he yeah. went um under under his pseudonym of richard Bachman.
2: backman, backman of, yeah
1: i've got to say neil on my recent rewatch a few years back of the running man that film really holds up
2: yeah like so i think it It plays better now, doesn't it? Mm. Because as you say, I mean, I think the idea behind it before was almost that sort of dystopian future, wasn't it? You know? And now it kind of fits into you could seriously see, you know, reality T V go into that stage. I mean, if you like, I mean the sort of squid game phenomenon that happened a couple of years ago now, very much goes along the same sort of thing really, doesn't it? Where, you know I know that wasn't televised on Squid Game, but it's the same sort of element, doesn't Mm. it, where you know, people are put there to, you know, for the entertainment of others. Really, I mean, there's there's certain things. I mean, we don't really know Richard Dawson as such, you know, as a game show host yeah. and stuff like that. But, you know, he was actually a game show host in America. So when yeah. we look back on it now, and you, we think of, I suppose, in those days, you imagine like, you know, if they made a British version, you'd know, like Bob Monkhouse or Bruce Forsyth mm. playing his yeah. evil bastard. You know, it's inspired to me, really, to be honest. And then, following
1: you, it's kind of his. First kind of foray into buddy cop territory. Director Walter Hill, you know, one of the all-time greats. Team Schwarzenegger up with Jim Belushi in Red Heat.
2: Well, again, this is is another one that for the longest time, I can remember watching Red Heat when it came out on VHS. And I've obviously seen it once or twice over the years then as well. But I think it was literally only about two years ago I sat down and watched Red Heat again, and I th- it was probably a good sort of 10, 15 years since I'd seen it. And i always remember it. It's not been a bad movie. Oh, actually, it's probably gone back a little bit longer than that because it's when my son first started getting to Arnold Schwarzenegger and yeah. obviously you know, we've just watched everything with that, you know. But I can could, I could remember sort of senator it to Zach. as, it's not as great as film, mate. It's not, a, it's not a fantastic film. It's all right hmm. type thing and stuff like that. And then watching it on that that watch i was like this is a lot better than i remember it being
1: i agree i I'm like, i was a big jim belushi fan around about that time to be honest with you having rewatched both red heat running man and raw deal pretty close together a few years back i would put it as the kind of weakest of the three i i yeah. prefer the running man and i i don't know i i think raw deal might have you know pipped it in that kind of three horse race there oh but well the
2: deal for me would definitely be the best yeah. of the three but it's no,
1: again, Red Heat. It, it's kind of mid tier Arnie. Um, he's, he's made a lot worse. Um, it's, but this is still classic Arnie era.
2: And again, is there anything about that film where you go, that's down to Arnie? You know, there's nothing, there's yeah. nothing about that film where you think, oh, he's phoning in or no, he's not at all. scenery or anything.
1: I mean, it's his most stoic performance, isn't it? With, yeah, the, with exactly. the least amount he's, of one liners. trying
2: something. It sounds yeah. daft because he's running around, you know, oh, he's a Russian, he's not Austrian, and this, you know, and he's got a big gun and stuff like that. But he's actually trying something different, isn't he?
1: Yeah. And, well, talking about trying something different then, 1988, same year, he teams up with director Ivan Reitman and Danny DeVito in Twins.
2: Hand on heart, I love this film. I absolutely love Twins. There's nothing... I've got um, a bad and a Bone T-shirt I've worn hmm. in the past and stuff like that. I absolutely love this film. Well,
1: the thing with Twins is it was... Wasn't it his biggest box office hit at the time? Yeah, Uh, It was a budget of $15 million and took a worldwide gross of
2: $216 million. I can remember seeing Twins for the first time with almost a sort of jaded thing of, what he's doing comedy. You know, yeah. and then absolutely loving it. And I, I gotta be honest. If Twins is on TV now, even if I cut the last thirty minutes of it, I'll sit down and watch it. I, I absolutely, I think it's like I say. When, when you look at The Rock now, everything he does is family orientated. Mm. Everything he does is like sort of you know disney Disneyfied, if you like, or you know, you know, softened down because. And I always think, yeah, do a Jumanji and then try and f- find a commando or try and find a raw deal afterwards. Yeah, yeah. You know, mix it up a little bit. And that was the thing with Schwarzenegger. He sort of did that in reverse, didn't he? Where he wasn't afraid to sort of experiment, you know, the confidence he must have had there because, you know, he sort of said, didn't he, uh, I didn't take a paycheck for it because, you know, the film studios were a bit, oh, mm. is this really going to work? And he was, oh, that's okay. I'll just take a percentage of the profits. Yeah. And it, it was,
1: again, it was kind of this pattern of... Um... Arnie releasing two films a year. Obviously, Red Heat was his more kind of standard action figure, but you know, Twins was kind of him stepping outside of his comfort zone. And I think.
2: Well, which would you, which would you have. If you were a studio backer, which would you have expected to be the money maker that year? Red Heat all the way. But then yeah, if i look have been putting my money in. Yeah. It could have fallen apart, couldn't it? It could
1: have gone the way of parody, but it, it's Ivan Reichman. It's the guy who gave us Ghostbusters.
2: If you look at that, I mean, the sort of baseline for that would have been as well, with a lot of studios would have been. Well, Alan Sues is doing comedy. Mm. Yeah, well, he's done the he's done the villain, <laughs> you know. And then you'd watch that and go, "Is he really gonna? You know, and he's gonna perform next to Danny DeVito? Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, this is gonna be ridiculous." But, but at that stage, and, I, and I'll be honest, I, I think Arnie actually references the character Julius, doesn't he? He says that he, that's who he thinks he's closest to yeah. in reality. Yeah, he does. That's my yeah. sort of naivety and, and you a fish know, out of
1: water, and, isn't, isn't it? it?
2: Fish we out to America, and wanting to learn about everything, and wanting to sort of integrate into everything, and I love the character of Julius. I absolutely that that one scene where the, the, the opening sort of meeting between the two of them, when he goes to speak to Demito in prison, and he's like, "We're brothers," and it's like Diomedo "Yeah, yeah, obviously." I can staring stare into a fucking mirror, you know, it's <laughs> stuff like that, like, you know. <laughs> I just, I, I for years they talked about doing a sequel, have they? With Eddie Murphy triplets. Uh, and I really hope they don't. No, I really no. hope they don't, because again, it's for me that's lightning in a bottle. I yeah. yeah.
1: Twins a huge hit for for Schwarzenegger, and he then kind of took a year off filmmaking and um, didn't uh, do anything in 1989. Um, because then he had a couple of projects uh, on the boil for the following year, 1990. The first of which is a little old film. Called Total
2: Recall. This is one we definitely will cover at some point. As you know, my—I like can remember our earliest, earliest conversations where I was like, "I think Total Recall might be my favourite sci-fi movie ever made," and I was like, "In fact, I think it might be one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made."
1: Yeah, I always had a bit of a bit of pushback against Total Recall. Like, and I've always loved this film, always. But it was that thing in the back of my mind that. The reason the sequel to my favourite film is not is nowhere near as good a film as it should be, Robocop Two, is because Paul Verhoeven chose not to do that film and he chose to do this film, and we ended up with a really substandard sequel in Robocop Two. But would I swap Total Recall now and 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 have like a a, a better film in Robocop Two? I don't know if it would have all come together, and I think the reasons that Verhoeven turned on Robocop Two was he didn't like the script. No one was giving him a script that was up to his expectations of where he wanted to take that film if it went beyond the first film. And ultimately, the first film is just perfect on his own. But, but
2: again, this goes to show the sort of savvy sort of nature of Schwarzenegger because by this stage yeah. now he's that big that he's picking and choosing projects and directors and directors. Yeah. And he's you know he's had sort of total recall in his back pocket for I think it was a couple of years by that stage, didn't he? Because there was talk. Before they were going to do where Patrick Swayze, he was going to take yeah. the lead one and stuff like that. And then Schwarzenegger's got hold of it. He's got the right to. He's got Carol Guy backing them and uh, mm-hmm. backing him every step of the way and stuff like that. And he's literally looking around, going, "You know, who could do something like this?" You know, and, and he's like seen RoboCop because I know he was sort of in sort of early contention to play RoboCop, which would have been ridiculous. Yeah. And then he's seen RoboCop and he's gone, "That's the guy who's directing Total Recall." Yeah,
1: yeah of course, because you know RoboCop as it was a big hit and it was just. You know, where do I start with that film? But yeah, you know, Short
2: sync was like, yeah, I really want to work with this guy. And I can say, I can remember back in the day, you know, probably going back, well, like 18 years ago, or whatever it was, mm. when we were first talking about this. And you were like, eh, but it's got this. And I was like, dude, it's set in the future. No, 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 there was no, I loved the film. No, but um, that's what I mean. Like, when I, I said to you about this might be the greatest sci fi movie of all time. And you were yeah. like, Ugh. and I was like, it's set in the future. They've got robots driving cars. <laughs> It's got memory implants, it's got robots in it, they go to fucking Mars, they're mutants there.
1: you haven't even (laughs) mentioned Sharon Stone.
2: (laughs) It's like every sort of aspect. And the violence and gore in that film. Would you ever get away now with your sort of, again inverted commas, hero here, because Mm. is he the hero or is he not? You know, there's so many questions about that throughout there. You know, that bit on the escalator where you have the shootout between him and Michael Ironside's crew. And he's using, like, members of the public as human shields. Well, there's, no, there's no two notes about it. Like, ah, oh, he's grabbing people and literally holding people in front of him. We were just getting turned to the raspberry jam.
1: I, I said in the Jerry Goldsmith episode, it, Jerry Goldsmith almost... Oh, a okay, score. He escalates almost the score a as, as, as a celebration of violence. That's one of my favourite scenes in any film, as, as messed up as that sounds. But Neil, you haven't even mentioned Mike side. The one ingredient that can turn any film or TV show better
2: yeah definitely but well. anyway
1: again look this is this is about Arnie isn't it this is about Arnie and, and again I
2: don't want to go too deep no, because
1: before, at one stage we need to talk about this film 100% it's one of the all time greats and yeah uh, this is going to be in my top five Arnold Schwarzenegger films no doubt yeah and then same year he's back with Ivan
2: Reitman Kindergarten Cop again an, an, another sort of Always holds a special place in my heart because that was the film that I actually introduced my son to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, it's you know, it's not a masterpiece, or that, but as a sort of family-friendly movie. And again, I'm talking about family-friendly movies, but you know if they weren't afraid to drop a few f-bombs. There's a yeah. bit of sexual implication in there. And it's, mm-hmm. you, know, it's, you know it's quite actually, the subject matter to it. I mean, um, who's the bad guy? Richard Tyson, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and his mother
1: as well. His mother's yeah, it's, it's, it's,
2: yeah. like nasty bastards. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, um, scary characters with
1: yeah. a kids film. L- L- Carol Baker plays his mum and she's horrid.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I rewatched it with my two sons recently. Their first time watching it, and it is it,
2: it's a, it's a good film. I, I do like it. And again, that sort of opening scene to Kindergarten Cop, where you know he's uh, John Kimball's there and he's got yeah. a stubble and he's like, "I'm the party pooper," and he's literally going, this is an Arnie film. This mm-hmm. is an Arnie film. And then he's not afraid then to say, to sort of almost parody himself. Yeah. To set it up of, you know, like, but now look what happens. You know, it's mm-hmm. yeah. like that. Like, I think this is displaying at that point where Arnold is going, I can make R-rated movies. I can sell R-rated movies, but can everyone watch my movies? Yeah. The momentum is there, not just to make a great movie, but to, if you like, what they would now talk about as being your brand. Yeah. He was there. He was way ahead of that game. when he's thinking to himself, "Yeah, I want kids to be able to see this mm-hmm. as well." You know, and and this is the year where his
1: his sort of um, box office chops is really going at... Kindergarten Cop made two hundred million. Sorry, two hundred one million dollars. Total recall on a budget of sixty five million made two hundred sixty one million
2: worldwide. Yeah, you can't argue with those figures, can you? At that yeah. type, like you know,
1: but this was just kind of a warm-up for what follows and if we're gonna say that <laughs> Predator and Conan the Barbarian and the Terminator are perfect Arnold Schwarzenegger films what is to follow I simply haven't got suitable superlatives to describe it because in 1991 or in 1990 we had that that teaser trailer didn't we that Stan Winston teaser trailer that you mentioned earlier that cost a hundred thousand dollars and it told us that the following year, July 1991, we would be getting a sequel to the Terminator, titled Terminator 2: Judgment Day.
2: And not implying at the time what role of that you'd be playing. Yeah,
1: and it was ambiguous for quite a long time, wasn't it? The trailers yeah. were edited as such that you assumed that the cop that we were seeing was the good guy. Yeah. Obviously, you know, Michael Bean's character Kyle Reese had died in the first one. We saw that an almost superhuman, fucking ripped as hell badass looking linda Alden was back and clearly the job is to protect this young boy we all know is john connor but we don't know in those early trailers like who the, the the bad guy is and then in subsequent trailers it's revealed that whoa hang on and he's a good guy he's a good terminator we, we, we've spoken about it on you know the, the previous episode where we covered all of the terminator films in one episode but when we finally do cover Terminator 2 in an episode on film 89, I would strongly suggest that given how much we've got to say about it, it's probably going to end up being as long as the extended cut of the film.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, um, with added futures. It's, it's, it's going to go down as one of the, if not the greatest, definitely one of the greatest sequels to a movie ever made. If we're saying that Predator
1: is Arnold Schwarzenegger's best acting role, I, I think Predator and Terminator 2 and maybe good lump in the first Terminator are going to be vying for the top spot of best Arnold Schwarzenegger film and I, I don't think I could pick between this and Predator it is literally like asking me to pick between my children and I just think Terminator 2 is just an absolute masterpiece. Friends of ours have brought it up the other night on Facebook. You know, a friend of ours, Darren, he watched it and, you know, we don't think he was aware of the, of the extended version. Yeah, Michael and all those. Yeah, and, you know, another friend of ours, Tony, I think, as we're recording now, has just messaged me about Terminator 2 and he... <laughs> you know, Actually, little, awesome. little, awesome. little does he know we're recording an episode on Annie, which is just unbelievable. A uh, little bit of luck. But yeah, Terminator 2. It, like I say, with that, it,
2: it just... It should fail, really, when you look at it, because mm-hmm. it sort of t- it twists the, the plot completely the other way, and it tries to do everything bigger and better. Which one of the sort of elements that I think Terminator works on is like it's such a sort of down dirty, gritty film, isn't it? Everything's it's almost all shot at night. It's almost all you know, sort of like like you say we talked about it before, the sort of guerrilla style filmmaking where they were literally like sort of turning up on streets and filming as quickly as they could before the cops turned up to ask to see their permits and stuff like that, you know. Mm this is like you know we could just fucking throw money at it you know we got the world's biggest star by that stage Cameron had sort of got such a reputation off the back of Terminator and you know stuff like that he was you know studios were just like throwing money at him you know and it's like everything's bigger everything's better everything's expanded I mean the original sort of idea for Terminator he was saying one day was he wanted a sort of liquid metal and he just didn't have the technology to do it and then Cameron's here you know Sort of perfecting this new CGI artist to its extremes, if you like. I know CGI's been used in films before, but very sparingly. And somehow it manages. I mean, like you say, it's, again, perfect film. It just pulls it off, doesn't it? There's there's nothing about, there's nothing about that film where you think this part doesn't work or that. There's oh I hate the idea you know like oh this bit always niggles at me or whatever like that. There's just nothing about that yeah. that doesn't work.
1: And do you think Neil that this is the the absolute pinnacle, of the apex of Arnie's career? This is him at the absolute top of his game, commanding the most influence. And I think I'm not saying this downhill from here, but I do think this is his career peak.
2: I, in yeah, terms I think of this, know, is, this is this is this is his mount Olympus, isn't it? this is the yeah. top, you know, the top of the tree sort of perform. You know, like you say, performing movie as well. Like you know, and you know, how, where'd you go from there? You could do a third term later movie, which we obviously will talk about later. But, you know, where would you go from there? You know, like, see, for me, Terminator 2 and Total Recall are sort of volume for position there for me, you know, but this obviously works on a greater scale because it is returning to that sort of familiarity yeah. of the Terminator movies, isn't it? Yeah. Oh,
1: well, where, where did you go after that? You kind of looked back and, and was like, well, you know, I, I, I had great success with, with John McTiernan in Predator. Let's team up with him again. And we've got 1993, Last Action Hero. <laughs> yeah, and I know there's loads I every time every time I see this film come up on Twitter, it's always people defending it. And there's little moments of absolute inspired genius in this film, you know, that bit where they go into the police station and Sharon Stone's character from Basic Instinct is stood
2: outside smoking a cigarette, the T one thousand walks out. Little moments like that. If you look it's ahead of itself mm. in the fact of what we get nowadays with like these sort of multiverse and flashpoint type movies where you know we can sort of like you know ready player one being another example of that where we can sort of reference pop art you know and sort of you know bringing icons and stuff like that. I can remember seeing it at a time and thinking it was fucking awful and I've seen it since. I'm in mean, no way gonna defend it. It's the kid for me. I, I find yeah, the, the kid's, kids very little shit.
1: Yeah. Is, he, is he Austin O'Brien? Yeah, I just find him just really irritating. What's he doing
2: nowadays? He's okay. not dead, is he? Exactly. I haven't said the wrong thing. I, wrong thing, have I? <laughs> oh, I don't think so. <laughs> but, you know, I say I'm not going to defend it anyway. I mean, people are always finding stuff to love about films and that's their thing. It's not something I'd go back to, but I suppose, again, it's, you know, did he just push the envelope a little bit too far? Well, Neil, I think a proof in the pudding, mate, is it was a
1: budget of 85 million. Yeah. So we're talking nearly as much as Terminator 2. And it grossed 137 million worldwide. Which, when you factor in marketing costs... This film was a—it was a flop, or near enough, just barely must have broke even.
2: It's, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because like I can see,
1: but again, did anyone want to see that movie? It's, it's that thing where he starts to poke fun of himself in a way, isn't it? Yeah,
2: it's 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 that part where he sort of realizes that, you know, I don't know. I said it's hard to put up the words. But I think he was trying to do that. I think he was trying to say, look, I know there's some ridiculous aspects to my movies, but people enjoy them, so get yeah. over it.
1: Well, you know, that was his first kind of, um, you know,
2: flop, if you like. Really. Yeah, yeah.
1: But then the following year, he decides to, again, looking back on his successful partnerships, he's partnered back up with James Cameron. Is it a completely original idea or is it a remake of a French film? I, I'm pretty yeah, sure. It's,
2: it's not, I, it's, well, it's based on a French film, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a remake in the fact that they've, you know, I don't think it's word for word, shot for shot type thing. It's the idea, the basis is there, isn't it? Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I'm sure it was, yeah, it was it's and for based me, this, on. This is the sleeper for many yeah. films because. It's one of those movies where, if we're talking about like, like you say, when we, we were talking about, you know, cut back. Oh, let's do the Arnie episode finally and stuff like that. Yeah. So we right. We're going to talk about Terminator, Total Recall, definitely Predator, definitely, and you're going through all these things, and then you go, oh, fucking True Lies. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's a bizarre one for me because I love True Lies. I think it's a really good. You know, it's a really well done film. Really, it's James Cameron. It's that perfect. Yeah. It's that
1: period of James Cameron from 1984 <laughs> through to 1994. And I wouldn't put this up there with those four Cameron films of the Terminator, Aliens, Terminator, oh, sorry, The Abyss, and Terminator 2. They, for me, are Cameron's four best films.
2: Yeah, but I'd also say, as well, I give Cameron a bit of kudos with two lives because it's probably one of his sort of straightest movies. Yeah. It, yeah. it doesn't have the bells and whistles. I mean, no. there are special effects and there's some great action shots. Oh, like. hell yeah. I mean, the Jamie Lee Curtis, for real, hanging from a yeah. helicopter going over the the keys in Florida, you know, and yeah. stuff like that over the bridge. If Cameron's name wasn't on this, I wouldn't watch this and go, hmm, this has got James Cameron written all over it. But it's very well done. All right, it's,
1: it, it's brilliantly done. And Jamie Lee Curtis is superb. Just got a career best, best performance from Bill Paxton.
2: <laughs> Bill fucking Paxton. Oh, Come on, dude. the guys are absolutely, well, was an absolute legend. God
1: rest his soul. Yeah, and... Fortunately, after the uh, kind of moderate failure of Last Action Hero, uh, True Lies was a big hit, made on a budget of one hundred and fifteen million dollars, it grossed $378 dollars worldwide. And now we've got, now we've got a few stumbling blocks because nineteen ninety four, the same year, he's teaming back with Ivan Reitman for Junior and
2: Neil. I have never seen it. I've seen it once. Again, I think it was probably would have been. I know I didn't rent it on VHS. I know I didn't go to the cinema. So I'd imagine it was probably on sort of um, like the first sort of showing on a TV show. And I thought, oh, I'll give it, you know, I'll give it a go type thing. I didn't have any particular interest in watching it, and it it doesn't work, mate. It, do, it doesn't work for me. And but again, is that a thing of him and Reitman have you know proved successful collaborations before? You know, it is again, did they just take it too far? Yeah, I I couldn't say, mate. I. I, I I've never watched
1: it. I've never had any desire to watch it. Um. So yeah, I haven't got much to say about it. Sorry. No, I think we can move on with that one. Let's move on to 1996, and it's a film I really should
2: go back and watch because I've always had a bit of a soft spot for it. But it's a razor. Yeah. Again, and it's probably God played at least twenty years since I've seen it. But. Yeah but it's got James Caan, it's got James Coburn. I I don't know, I just remember it being this
1: kind of Arnie kind of going back to basics.
2: Yeah, I think it was a sort of almost a knee-jerk thing within there, I think after Junior had flopped and they said the the, the last action hero sort of stain was still not quite washed away yet. Yeah. So it was like, right, can you give me something where I've got big guns and I can shoot badly CGI crocodiles at the end of it? Well, you literally did not he had those big rail guns which, were completely preposterous, but yeah, but again, he was getting to the stage. I mean, they joked about it in the documentary, and I've read. Reviews, uh, interview, I've seen interviews before with him and Stallone speaking, where they were literally trying to outgun each other, weren't they? You know, yeah. if, if you know, if Stallone used a, a gun, he was like, "Well, what's bigger than that that I can hold?" And I think with that, it's it, like you say, it's a razor. It almost sort of smacks a desperation a bit from Arnie, doesn't it? It's mm. like you say, it's like, right, let's get back to the action. Yeah. You know, right. This is, you know, I don't think I don't say I think it's fair to say that for a fair few years, few years preceding that, things were like passion projects to Arnie. Yeah. You know, you get hold of something and you think, Right, how can I make this good script a great Danny movie? You know, yeah, I,
1: I agree. With I, I just, yeah, I agree with everything you said there. And it, I, I do want to go back and watch it, but it was one of those ones where I, I, I begin to realize that I think, Yeah, he's starting to lose it a bit here. And I went to see it with very low expectations. And it was just, Yeah, it takes enough boss, boxes to get a pass from me,
2: yeah,
1: and then. I, I completely skipped Jingle all the way the same year. I actually watched it uh, maybe a year or so back, a, a recent Christmas with my kids. It, it's amusing enough. We've all I, been those I, parents. You know living...
2: I won't hear a weird said against Jingle all the way for the same reasons uh, as Kindergarten yeah. Conference. These were all films that, like you say, I was watching with my son. Well, my son's coming to 17 now, but when he was sort of nine and 10 years old, watching Arnie films with him. I think with, with Jingle all the way, it's, it's, you know, it could have been mainstream for television, couldn't it? Yeah. It's got one of the best sort of uh, protagonists in it with Phil Hartman. I just, he's just fucking amazing yeah. in it. He's the slimiest sort of greaseball neighbour in the world. And, you know, he's literally <laughs> a conversation where he's like, hmm, these cookies, put the cookie down! You know, and yeah. like that. Like, you know, I just love it. I love that film. But for, for purely sentimental reasons, yeah. like you say, it's just, you know, just a great sort of family fun film, isn't it?
1: And then we come the following year to the greatest low point in anyone's career. Batman and Robin.
2: Right. I'm in no way trying to defend Batman and Robin. I am in no way saying that Batman and Robin is a good movie. I will say, however, if you were given the direction of we are trying to do 60s-style Batman, Adam West-style Batman, and you're the villain of the week, then I would actually say this rates as being one of Annie's greatest performances. Controversial, I know. But let's look at it this way. You're doing 60s Batman... And you get Vincent Price on there, and you get him to ham it up as an egghead. Yeah. Well, you're getting, you know, King Tut or Burgess Meredith. Well, Cito Christ, Romero. didn't
1: didn't bloody Otto Preminger play um, Mr. Yeah. Freeze, the you know the things
2: director? I I'm in no way trying to defend that movie. Absolutely, the cards on the table is, is it is what it is. But I will say, if you're going in that direction, then Arnie's performance actually fits in. <laughs> but again, you know, I'm not saying it's a good movie.
1: <laughs> I I kind of lost the words. Can we can we move on? <laughs> no. I, I think I <laughs> it think took, it took Arnie. Dinosaurs
2: died because of the ice age. Oh it, my no, god! No, they didn't, mate. There was a big asteroid. I know. <laughs> it, it
1: it took him two years to recover. Then and his next film is and well this is kind well, of he, kind
2: of well, say in that period. Then he's got the stage now where he has the heart surgery and hasn't he? That's right. And so that's where you've got to think now is he's coming off. Let's be honest. A uh, sort of critically panned. He's had a few misfires now, and then he's basically like I would compare him to the, the sort of ex-championship fighter. Now he's going through the sort of Conor McGregor stage, if you like, where he's winning one and then he's losing one. He's, you know, he's 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 coming back, but then he's two steps forward, three steps back all the time, isn't he? And stuff yeah. like that. And then you go into the thing of, you've got to have, well, two, as it turned out, two very serious operations. And, you know, I, I was under the impression he got a valve replaced in his hat, But from watching that documentary, the first operation was a complete failure, wasn't it? And he was rushed back on again, yeah. He
1: was in a bad way, and uh, he went in confidently with the first one. Then he woke him up and said, um, it's not gone right,
2: and we're going we're gonna
1: to have to do another operation. He went back under,
2: and he was... I always attributed that to the steroid juice, and you know, it was only from watching that documentary. Yeah, it, it was um, sort of congenital, wasn't it? Yeah, because his mother's had it as well, didn't she? I always always thought that, you know, obviously, you know, let's be honest, if someone was taking one pill, I would imagine he was taking four. If someone was taking 50 milligrams, he was probably taking 100. And I just thought, you know, the amount of stress that he put on his body throughout the years, that obviously would have caused the heart complete and and do you remember Neil when we
1: when we talked about the uh, the Predator franchise and the Terminator franchise and, and we kind of you know wished that Terminator Two was the last Terminator film and we wished the Predator Two was the last Predator film? I would love it now, Neil, if we could bring this discussion to an end. And the last film Arnold Schwarzenegger ever made was End of Days.
2: Yeah, I can agree what you're saying because for me this is this is a very sort of underground classic Ali movie for me. Well, you know th- th- this is
1: Peter Hyams. This is the guy who brought you know 2010 Outland. My favorite Van Damme film, Timecock, possibly. If you're not an yeah. account Universal soldier, Peter Hyams, he's got a couple of decent films under his belt. And this one was Arnie no longer superhuman. This is Arnie vulnerable. This is yeah. Arnie going up against Satan, which you could say is like, oh, come on, he's fought aliens, he's fought liquid metal bloody killer machines.
2: Now you're putting him up against the devil. Seriously, it sounds like a, it sounds like a ridiculous pitch, like you say, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing with that with with the Predator. One day it? It was basically someone was joking round about after Rocky Four, what's Rocky gonna do now? Fight a space alien? Yeah, you know, and you know, it sounds like well, after he's killed, you know, after he killed the Predator, what's he gonna do now? He's gonna fight space? Yeah.
1: but it's also like a neat kind of little horror
2: thriller type film as well. Yeah, so it's, it's it's one. Of, you know, almost instantly, I was like, I really like this. Yeah, and it's one that I don't go back to often, but every time I go back to it, I'm almost sort of surprised by, oh yeah, I've forgotten how sort of got like a Candyman vibe to it, yeah. or it's got like a sort of Omen vibe to it. And, you know, it's, there's all these different sort of aspects that come into it where you think this is like a proper horror film. Yeah. This isn't just like an action film with a horror, you know, with a supernatural element to it.
1: And Neil, this this is going to completely blow your mind, right? So what are we now? Nineteen ninety nine. So we're eight years on from Terminator two. Obviously, inflation is going to account for quite a bit of this, right? But Terminator 2 was the most expensive film ever made in 1991. It was $102 million. End of Days in 1999 also cost $100 million, so $2 million less. Yeah, But that is no small amount. Mm. And as much as I really like this film quite a bit, although I haven't seen it for a long time, it grossed $211 million worldwide. So it was a moderate, oh, okay, maybe a, you know, putting in marketing costs, it kind of just pulled in a little bit of a profit but you know that's better than i
2: thought it had done yeah i always sort of view this as being the one that's sort of like you say like a raw deal that just sort of just came and went and it is that bit isn't it where he's hanging out of the window
1: of the of the building and is it gabriel burns character who plays the devil it's stamped on his hand and presses into the broken glass on the window and cuts through his hand and like the army that we know
2: would just shrug that off but you know, it's proper cut into his hand and Yeah, and so reacts like yeah. like you like would react. Yeah. I mean, you know, the bit with the um the, the priest at the beginning who's cut his tongue off and keeps oh. it in the jar and stuff. And then when they go to the hospital he's like stuck to the ceiling and you yeah. know there's carved in his chest and stuff like that. Like I say... It's very, like, Exorcist 3. I mean, three like in, I in you eight. could argue that, like, like, The Terminator's a horror movie. You could argue the Predator, perhaps, is a bit of a horror yeah. movie. I mean, there's certain films like that, you know, where they say they always have this sort of, like, maybe supernatural or demonic sort of vibe to it. But this doesn't shy away from the fact, like I say, there's certain bits in this film where, I mean, Miriam Margulies, which she's, like, the sort of nanny who's, like, protecting yeah. her, And then she turns out to be, like, you know, one of Satan's minions and stuff like that. I mean the, the weird guy on the train I can't remember his name a little weird little dude with the, the, the sort of um, dreadlocks and stuff like that and he's like oh he's coming for you he's going to enjoy having you and stuff like that it's really an, yeah. unnerving you know a great performance Rod Steiger as well as like the priest in there as yeah, well yeah God yeah he really is you know when he sort of comes in he's like you know, you know you're know, you not a man of God you're not pure of heart you're not a bad man and stuff like that and then he sort of realises then that that Arnie's character I can't remember his name in there is um, Jericho Jericho, of course, yeah. Yeah. He's sort of, you know, coming around like, and you've got Udo Kia as well. well Udo is so creepy, I love him. Yeah, for me, there's there's no sort of getting away from the fact, like you say, this if this film had come out pre sort of Junior Batman and Robin, yeah. I think it'd be talked with a lot more reverence. Yeah. Is Arnie, in fact, there learning from his mistakes where he's sort of like, I've done Action Hero, I've done Junior, I'll do a race, I'll do a big action movie, and it's like, when he comes back, he's like, well, let's do it, but let's try and do something slightly different, you know? And let's try and... Oh, okay, there's a bit of a horror element to this. He's trying something different again, isn't he? Yeah. And, you know, like we
1: say, Neil, before you know the third part of the documentary that goes into his segue in, into politics, uh, End of Days is the last film that Arnold Schwarzenegger ever made.
2: <laughs> he did make he made one or two good movies
1: after that. I don't know. There's a part of me that just wants to make it a cut-off point.
2: I think it's safe to say, because like I say the films he does afterwards what's he do like what's uh, collateral collateral damage or something or is it the, the sixth day is dreadful sixth, six day days yeah Co- collateral six, damage is forgettable six days is bizarre
1: it's just we, i've spoken about two three rise of the machines i don't want to talk about it again
2: yeah it's
1: just it's, it's a strange choice And again he, he turns up in around the world in 80 days which i, I never
2: even saw yeah he said he said blink and you miss a camera yeah. fairness, mate. Yeah,
1: we got really excited when The Expendables was announced, and that turned out to be a load of garbage. Yeah. The Expendables 2 was even worse.
2: Yeah, and Expendables 3 is. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: you've, before that, you've got The Last Stand uh, 2013. The last stand Not bad. The Last
2: Stand I'll go with, mate. I, yeah. I, 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 the Last Stand, I think, is an enjoyable enough action movie. Um, and yeah. he plays to his strengths and his weaknesses with that. And, you know, he, he sort of almost admits to his aging sort of self and stuff like that. Yeah. Te- teaming up with Johnny Knoxville, Jesus
1: Christ! Yep,
2: yeah, Maggie, I think is a, a, a is a sort of a sleeper yeah. there, for Annie. Um, Escape
1: Plan, which you've always told me to watch. I tried, and I I, I don't know why I, I I couldn't.
2: Escape Plan is it, it bizarre, mate. It's, if you ask me to rate an average action movie that I could just sort of kind of watch, I go, yeah, it's a six or seven out of ten. It's it's along those lines. Yeah. The thing is with Escape Plan is I think if Escape Plan had come out before The Expendables, and I got this. To sit in a cinema and go, wow, Stallone and Schwarzenegger on screen together, it would have had a lot bigger impact on me. Yeah. But Escape Plan, I mean, easily, I mean, just walk so you could put all three of Spinal Movies together, and Escape Plan's a better movie. Yeah. And That's... there's certain, but there's certain parts of that where I think, oh, he's actually acting here. There's yeah. one, scene, there's one scene where they're getting sort of tortured in the, in this sort of maximum security prison, and he goes into a rant and he pretends he's going crazy and stuff like that, and you're like, oh never seen that sort of performance
1: yeah. from you before and you know I, i'm looking at um the, the poster for sabotage from 2014 on imdb and the guy front and
2: center just doesn't look like arnie now i will be honest with sabotage that's it's not again i'm not going to go because it's the same guy who did um sicario and all that didn't sabotage um it's david a yeah it?
1: right
2: okay so suicide squad, suicide squad guy yeah, I mean, yeah. Right, I'm not going to say that Sabotage is a great film, but again, it's it's already trying something very... It, it reminds me of Sicario, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, It's already trying to do something different. What I would say with Sabotage as well, and I won't give any spoilers for people who haven't seen it, it's not the film you think it's going to be. Yeah, And the ending to it, I've got to be honest, is probably one of the greatest endings I've ever seen to an action movie. Based on that then, and
1: the fact that I thought I'd seen it but I haven't, I will, if it pops up one of the streaming services or whatever well. I will definitely put that on my list to watch
2: I think yeah like I said I'm not going to tell you it's a great movie because it's not but I think you'll watch it and you'll be pleasantly surprised by the sort of way the, what this film's trying to do it gets, it definitely gets points for trying and I honestly say as well Arnie gets points for trying in this film as well much the same as Maggie he's trying to do something different he's not turning up going hi I'm Arnie I'll be back mm. he's, he's trying to he's trying to sort of almost age gracefully if you like. yeah yeah
1: and then the same year the had three which uh, you know that series just nah.
2: what went wrong with that series
1: i know I, it, it had all the perfect ingredients and it was just garbage maggie then 2015 which i really wanted to see i never got wrong to and you said was yeah like you said it was really good ah two to genesis the same year we talked about it i don't want to give it any more airtime it's garbage yeah. literally don't even destroyed the franchise spat on it on its grave
2: we joke round, and I've heard other people joke round about those only three Indiana Jones movies. Yeah. I've got the same sort of thing for Terminator movies, but I can't joke about it. Yeah. Would be the fairest assessment there. All I can
1: say about Killing Gunther is, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Paul who has been on this podcast, did the poster for it. It is a pretty awesome poster, but I've never seen it. It's a ridiculous film, oh, I can't oh.
2: And Arnie is in it for literally probably 12 minutes, if that. It's, it's very much one of those things where you just think they must have said, "What are you doing a week Wednesday? <laughs> and he like, must be like, oh, I can be there by 11. Well, but I have to leave at six. Okay. <laughs> and they just filmed
1: all these scenes. And then the last kind of film of any note and one which uh, unfortunately was the subject of a previous episode, "Terminate the Dark Fate.
2: Yeah. And I know there was sort of an element of Annie and Linda Hamilton being back together and stuff like that, which was going to you know, yeah. spark our interest. It did spark our interest, let's be completely honest. As much as we are sort of jaded horrible nasty shriveled people yeah. that we are now both of us i think hand on hand actually thought this might be good yeah we did got we coming back you got linda hamilton you got arnold Schwarzenegger, and what they did to him in that movie <sighs> i, mean, I know. christ i've never seen i almost i didn't know whether i was angry at arnold or whether i wanted to give him a hug after seeing that movie yeah. because i just thought oh god what have they done to you and then you know, that's it really, uh, you know, films of note. And well, other than this, this new series, he's got food on Netflix, which I've seen, I think I've watched the first two or three episodes of. I'm going to be completely honest with you. It's not great. No, maybe it's not.
1: But then the one thing we've got to say that, whilst this latter part of his career is playing out, the third part of the documentary is playing out. Third part titled The American, where Al Schwarzenegger, to the shock and awe of many, Steps full on into politics in a yeah. big way, and he fights his way to become the governor of California. And it was this part of the documentary that I thought, is this
2: going to hold my interest? And it was it was the one element where I thought oh, I can give or take on this one.
1: It really did um, hold my interest throughout, and I, I just had a completely different view of him. And do you know that my one th- takeaway from this was this was seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger as a Republican and having Democrats willingly working alongside him to the betterment of all on yeah. environmental projects, stuff like that. And if you look now in this post Trump era, the, the the very idea
2: of that now is just preposterous. You know
1: yes, the
2: is not just not just in America, you know, but definitely in our country as well, where you know you're left or right, you know, there's yeah. no sort of middle ground and stuff like no. that. And again, politics is a different you know, we might have people who love listening to this and might listen, you know, might be so strongly Opinionated one way or the other, yeah. they might sort of think, Oh, god, you know, I don't want to listen to that. Those two are completely wrong, and I fully accept that. That's the thing you shouldn't talk about religion and politics with your friends. No, and every, and every one of our listeners I like to think of as a friend, yeah. But what I will say is, obviously, the documentary shot a certain way and it's geared a certain way and stuff like that. And I've no doubt that people who are more politically savvy than me could say, But what about this? or he did that, and yeah, my like, yeah. completely valid arguments there. But like you see, that one element of I think he went into that thinking I can do good, but for, for a while it was almost seen as a sort of novelty factor. There
1: was there was a lot of idealism with him, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, but there was also that sort of element where you thought he did generally want to do a good job, and I I I think anyone who becomes a politician, why would anyone want to become president? You know, it's, yeah, you know, when you look at it, it's not a. Massively paid job, and you know, why would anyone want to be a politician? You know, it yeah. you know, seems to be a sort of almost an ego boost thing. So, I'm not saying his ego didn't play a factor in there, but I also think there was an element that that guy generally wanted to do good for the world,
1: yeah. And you know, there was there were bits where I, I defy anyone to, to be critical of that. You know, that message he sent out to the Russian soldiers when the war, you know, with Ukraine broke out, and he was warning the Russian soldiers about them essentially being indoctrinated by their own government pointing back to the you know what happened in the first and second world wars and it, it was just the the intent the way that message came across it was just if
2: if that, if that was done as a sort of publicity thing to sort of boost his ratings if you like then i would say that was his greatest performance because that was the most sincere one of the yeah. most sincere things i have ever seen. i will conv- I'll, I'll flip that as well the the sort of screw your freedom or fuck your freedom or whatever he did when people were refusing vaccinations and stuff like that sort yeah. of counteracts against that but i think you know like you say that that message to the russian people that was literally the stuff of nobel peace prize
1: and you know i think by that point he'd stepped on from politics had not he yeah this, that, uh, that
2: was done just like you say the yeah. sort of end into this you know this documentary was the older i get the real the more i realize mm-hmm. you know we shouldn't be at war with each other we should try and love each other we yeah. should try and help each other and stuff like that and like it was, it was really sad to see the the, the breakdown of his marriage. Yeah, so there was one line in that when he's, you know, when he said the kids still come to visit, but it's not the same. We're not a family anymore. No. And, stuff like that. and you know, yeah. without getting too personal, I mean, you know, we've said before, you know, we're both fathers and stuff like. That. I've been through a divorce. You know, I've been through the, the separation of being kept away from your children and stuff like that. Yeah. That bit, I gotta be honest, I just thought really pulled at my heartstrings as well as something else as well and towards the end of that sort of documentary where I thought for everything you've got in your world and everything you've achieved sometimes you just seem like you're like this man just rattling around in a mansion on your own and I just I thought there was something very sort of heartfelt and very sort of, and I don't think that was the emphasis behind it I don't think No I don't
1: because I'm sure he's happy he's got he's got children who he loves and he's got a really great relationship with Maria
2: He's and, got Chris Pratt as a son-in-law I mean who would exactly. ask for more <laughs>
1: Star Lord is his son, in law I mean, wow. And and then, uh, you know, uh, as, as if as if that wasn't
2: enough, then enough. you have sort of thing of because I've always said, like you know, literally, I've, I think I've said it for like last sort of ten, fifteen years. I wouldn't say always, because it's been the last ten, fifteen years. When someone you grew up uh, sort of like in awe of passes away, no. it's always really sad, isn't it? You know, we've had a few, haven't we? We've had like. Oh, we had a few sort of like icons of our youth have passed away over the last couple of years and yeah. I've always thought jeez I'm not gonna be able to handle it with Arnie or Sligo and then towards the end of that where I mean let's be honest I mean I don't you know he's built still built like a fucking truck like you know oh, yeah. he's still he's he's still the a sort of epitome of sort of macho and manliness if you like but he also looks old doesn't he yeah he does as, yeah, like yeah. Say, as he was walking around the mansion on his own and again what we're coming on to now speaking about Franco as well uh, with Franco Colombo, and he sort of talking about how he misses him every day, and and then you could see he was sort of contemplating his own mor- his own mortality as well. Really struck home with me. I gotta be honest, I'm quite, getting quite sort of emotional thinking about it. But when I was watching it, I was saying, "Don't cry, don't cry, don't want <laughs> Oh right, I was the same, and
1: and. It made me think of you know. Thank God this documentary has come about and it's given us the kick of the backside to finally devote an episode to Arnold Schwarzenegger, and we don't wait until the guy finally passes away and then we're doing a kind of
2: yeah, sort of memorial yeah,
1: memorial of him, yeah. and we're doing it now while the guy is still alive because you know he's still very active on Twitter and he's you know he's still very much you know kind of still in the public eye
2: and and like you say you know. On the whole, politically, you know, he seems to be wanting to do good. I mean, whatever your opinions are on global warming, whatever your opinions are on vaccinations or war or whatever like that, he's he always seems to come across as he just wants what's best, you know. He doesn't seem to you know, try and run it home like you know. Yeah. And I like you know, the thing I like about the documentary was it
1: didn't rush under the carpet the allegations of sexual misconduct that were made and he
2: I always think when there's no smoke without fire is there let's let's be completely honest and what you know i think if someone comes out and accuses someone of something i like to think that i don't see things as black and white i think there's two sides to every story i think there's certain times that situations can be misread and let's be honest as well just because someone says you did something doesn't mean you did it when it becomes like a snowball effect where more and more things are coming out and you think well there's got to be an element of truth this, and i have no doubt that someone who's as big and large a personality as he he is and definitely as ego driven as he was at a certain stage of his life probably thought that he could have and do whatever he wanted oh absolutely of course you know and i'm not making light of that in any in any situation i'm not trying to say that he you know like i said i'm not trying to you know give him a pass or anything like that but he, did, you know, he didn't sort of sit there and say, oh, yeah, I did everything that was said about me. But he did admit, didn't he, that, yeah, my actions in the past have been incorrect, you know. And Yeah, no, you're right. And like I say, you know, if he did those
1: things, it's inexcusable. But, you know, he didn't hide away from them. And he did apologize for the fact that some of his conduct just wasn't things that he should have done. And he was regretful of them. He was apologetic. And like a lot of politicians who just would outright deny it.
2: Yeah. I say there, there was a vulnerability to him throughout that sort of the whole well, from any episode we, but definitely in our last episode. Yeah. There was a lot of sort of I've conquered the world almost, you know, but yeah. I still have regrets. I, you know, and like you say, I say, I thought it was a really nice comment when he said like everyone goes on about him being a self made man he was like, I'm not a self made man. Oh, I know. You said
1: you know? said there were, there was you said there were so many people on the way you helped me to where to, to get where I was.
2: Yeah, when he sort of accepted, like, you know, the fact that, like, if it weren't for Joe, either, I wouldn't have done this. If it won for Frank, if it yeah. not for Franco, I wouldn't have done that. If it weren't for, you know, the political elements, he'd be sort of naming all these yeah. sort of mentors. And he's honest enough to admit that you can want something. You can really want to do something. You can try your best at saying, but if you don't get the right advice, you know, there's no point driving a car blindfold, is there? You know, no, you're you're not right.
1: right. You're right. And it, it was that humility in him. Yeah, it was that humility in him that just yeah. surprised me, and and it was it was good to see. So yeah, that brings us to the end of uh, the documentary. So scores out of ten, Neil, for the Netflix documentary series or mini series
2: Arnold. Do you know, for me, uh, I'm gonna score. I'm, I'm gonna score it a nine. No, Joe, you know I'm gonna score it a ten out of ten. For me, there was there was no part of that series where I thought that it was lacking anything. Other than I thought could have actually been a bit longer, to be honest, but. Like you, like we were discussing this off air a couple of days ago. Like you say, it left me wanting more. So really, it's done the right job, hasn't it? You know? Yeah.
1: It, well, yeah. I, I was assuming this show was leaning towards an eight. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, well, do you know what? That's why I often say that sometimes when we're thinking, you know, was that episode enough? And I'm thinking, should our aim be that we're never fully satisfied? We're always making people want a bit more. And that's why I felt about this documentary, about the fact that I wanted more, which means that I enjoyed
2: it as opposed to do you know what I'm done with that now wouldn't even yeah. watch it again it's it's quite conceivable that if in like 12 months time they said there's a follow up to it I'd be generally excited to watch it but it wouldn't live up to it well uh, okay then you've yeah you, you've given it a, a
1: very generous 10 I would have liked the second part the, the bit of other films I, I can't there was so many films that were skipped over and we've actually done a better job than the documentary and going in detail no, with his yeah, filmography
2: yeah,
1: yeah. I'm going to go for nine. okay so
2: are you sticking with a 10? Do you know what? I'll stick with a 10 just for the enjoyment factor. Because like, like I was saying to you off it was one of those ones, I was actually waiting for my son to come home because he wanted to watch it with me. And I got a, a hell of a couple of days and all I wanted to do was go to bed. And I said, we'll watch the first episode and then we'll catch up with the other two tomorrow. And then I ended up watching the second episode. So that sort of tells me everything that I, I needed to know. But it's like, yeah, okay. Really speaking, you could have dug deeper into the film element. But the other side of that, I would say to you, is did it need to? No, um, I, maybe if, not. What if, you know, sometimes I think this. if you need to know more, if you want to learn more about something, we live in an age where you can go and learn yeah. about it. And doesn't that kind of say that it's Dennis' job?
1: Yeah, I think you're right, Yeah. So... Well, you're going to go a 10, I'm going to go a 9, so that's an average of 9.5. You always round up when it's 0.5, so that's a nine verdict for Arnold of 10 out of 10. So that's it, Neil. We finally covered the big man, the Austrian oak.
2: Yeah, and I, so I'd be completely relieved that we have, really. I know. yeah. I think we, we, we did it at the right time, didn't we? God forbid we could have been doing this as a memorial oh. sort of thing, as a tribute. And the other side of it is, it's really kickstarted the fact that we've got to do certain films need to be addressed on this podcast don't they yeah but that's that's the beauty of it there's so many classics we've yet to cover yeah.
1: so that's it that's our review of arnold and our celebration of the career of arguably our most revered big screen icon and if you've enjoyed the episode please give us a like make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you never miss an episode and please leave us a positive review especially if it's on apple podcasts you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Sky Movies. Uh, Neil, where can people find you if they want to arrange a spot in session at your local gym?
2: <laughs> I've been doing a bit of press for this one. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you, can, uh, you, you can laugh at me on, the, uh, on Twitter at Neil underscore Gaskin.
1: And you can find us all on Twitter and Facebook at film 89 uk So until next time, stay safe. Be excellent to each one another, and I almost cred him where he's going to go with. But more importantly,
2: we'll be back. Oh, perfect. <laughs>